It is our privilege to bring to you the following message, supported by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our normal Sunday morning service times. Pastor Rick Foster is serving as our interim senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church. And today, Pastor Rick wraps up his series on Life with a Capital L. Today is part 7 of that series. We're in Ephesians chapter 1, looking at verses 13 and 14. In a sermon he's entitled, I Want to Know for Sure. Let's join Rick now as he talks about our assurance in Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. Here's Rick. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, open, if you would, back to Ephesians 1 as we finish up our series called Life with a Capital L with the last couple of verses in Paul's opening paragraph. Now, when Paul began to write his letter to the followers of Jesus Christ in Ephesus, or in the church of Ephesus, um, he he used, in the opening verses, a traditional greeting that would have been used in almost any letter of that day. Then in verse 3, as almost if in his excitement he can't wait to get the words out, he takes a deep breath and then gushes in one long sentence this nonstop torrent of what we've been given in Christ. And so each week we've been noticing how life of the capital life of the capital L has to do with being personally selected by God, lovingly adopted by God, graciously rescued, wisely informed, and delightfully valued. These are incredible blessings. Verse 3 tells us this. These are incredible blessings we've been given in Christ, which are meant to restore us to our original trajectory. What is that original trajectory? We were created by God to enjoy a personal, loving, warm relationship with Him. And everything that's blocked that, everything that has thwarted that, everything that has ruined it, is now being restored to us in Jesus Christ. Again, it's all because of what God's done for us in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And that's why 13 times in these 11 verses, Paul describes what is true of us and what we can experience because we are, and here's what he repeats, in Christ. Sometimes he says in him, but he's talking about being in Christ. But we've also observed that in the journey towards life with a capital L, it is not being experienced by the majority of believers. Why? Well, we've talked about this. We have an enemy who opposes us. And remember, if we don't, or if we fail to remember that we've got an enemy, then we will misunderstand or misinterpret 90% of what's happening around us and inside of us. Now, again, it's true, and maybe I've overemphasized it and need to have said it over before, but that's not the, the enemy. The battle with our enemy is not the only battle we have. We also battle our own flesh, and we also battle things with the world. But when it comes to experiencing life with a capital L, we've got an enemy. And we dare not forget that. Because there is evil out there. And it's not just generic, it's personal. There is a thief who has targeted us. He is ruthless, he is relentless, and he wants us to lose heart in experiencing life with a capital L. Now, you need to understand what happens if you lose the battle. 
even if it's just for a period of time, if you give up on the battle and you begin to say to yourself, I guess this life of the capital L stuff is just never going to be true for me, what happens? Well, what it does is it pushes us to one of two extremes. And this is really important to understand this morning. If our mindset towards life is we give up in the battle, then we'll either be pushed towards resignation or we'll be pushed towards gratification. Resignation is giving in. I mean, resignation is when we give up. Gratification is when we give in. If we choose resignation, then life simply becomes about endurance. And I live each day trying to protect my heart because I don't believe there's anybody else out there who will protect it. I have been there. I've got the T-shirt. It's not fun. (laughs) But the other end of the extreme is if we choose gratification, then life is about indulgence. I live to please my heart. And what is the result of those extremes? Well, if I sink into resignation then a deadness creeps into my heart. Or, if I sink into gratification, then addictions creep into my heart. And our churches across America are filled with believers who have settled either for resignation or gratification, and the thief has done his cruel work of stealing, stealing, killing, or trying to destroy what Jesus came to give us. So one last time, at least in this sermon series. Hear the challenging words of Paul to his young mentor in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. So fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life, this abundant life, this life of the capital L to which you have been called. So Paul's words to us are don't become a victim of identity theft. Don't be robbed of who you really are. Every day we've got to fight for our hearts in Christ. Now, in Ephesians 1, verses 4 to verse 12, we've discovered the first five cards that will protect our hearts. These are cards to use in the battle when doubts and discouragements and deceptions and lies come at us from Satan. And so this morning, let's add the sixth and final card to our hand that we need to play. Now, before we do that, we need to understand something about the time of year we live in. This last week of Thanksgiving typically is a transition into a time of year where we do a lot of shopping. And whether we do the shopping online or whether we do the shopping where we end up at a physical counter at a checkout place of the store, we are often asked if we want to purchase a warranty for the item that is in our shopping cart. Now, we may choose not to get the warranty, but we can't deny that we do want assurance about the thing we're buying. And so it comes in many forms. Uh, As a consumer, we're offered a sense of security through a money-back guarantee if we don't like it. Or just bring it back to the store and we'll give you your money back. Um, Or if you find it at a lower price somewhere else in the next seven days, we'll match that price. Or the seller may say, I'll repair and replace anything for three years or 36,000 miles. I mean, it comes in a lot of different forms to us. Ladies, if you want assurance that that... Or sometimes we want assurance if you find that Louis Vuitton purse on eBay for $75, it's not a counterfeit. Or when you go to the store, are those vegetables there really organic? You know, we want assurance. So here's my question this time of year. Are there any assurances with Jesus? 
What assurance do we have that all this stuff that we've been talking about, life with a capital L, isn't just a figment of the pastor's wishful imagination? How do you know that you're not being played in some kind of cosmic con game? Or that you're being asked to follow blind tradition? The sixth and final card that we're going to look at in verse 13 and 14 here in Ephesians 1 speaks to our desire for certainty. It speaks to our desire for assurance. And these verses that we're going to look at here give us a powerful sense of assurance in two different areas. One, what's happening in my life right now? And second, what's going to happen in the future? So let's begin. We've got this natural desire and we want assurance about our current authenticity in Christ. How does verse 13 begin? Paul writes and says, In him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him. Notice who Paul is talking to. In context here, he is speaking to those of us who want assurance for what I did. What did we do? Well, as a follower of Christ, Paul says there was a time when we did two important things. First of all, notice in verse 13, we carefully listened to the message of truth. Now, notice how Paul further defines this message of truth. He says it's the gospel. In other words, it's, it's the good news of our salvation. In other words, there was a time when we heard something that stirred our souls deeply, and it was good news to us. But we did more than just listen. Notice what Paul says. The second thing we did was believe what we heard. We made a choice at the heart level that the message that we heard was truth. And the response to that was there was a 180 degree turn away from where I used to be headed. Now I'm headed back towards Jesus Christ. We gave our lives to him and we accepted this gift of salvation. But how many of us since that time? For some of you, it was this year. For some of you, it's been years. But however long since that time, how many of us have gone through a season where we've wondered, where we've had questions crop up? Was what I did authentic? Was it real? Or was I simply in a vulnerable position and I was grasping for straws? By the way, who would, who would have reason to encourage those kinds of doubts? <laughs> who would? See, who here has not wanted assurance in what we did? And the answer to those questions is right here in the text. Jesus, at the last part of verse 13, notice, gives us assurance by what he did. How does verse 13 put it to us? Again, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, here we go, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. We were sealed. It wasn't too long ago, well, maybe I guess it really was a while ago, that it was very customary that when you wrote a letter, you put the letter inside, uh, your handwritten letter inside an envelope, and then closed the flap and sealed it with hot wax with the signet ring that you wore that was yours and yours alone. That seal on the letter gave assurance 
to the recipient of your letter that the message was indeed from you and that the contents of that letter that you had written to them was truly what you were thinking. That's what the seal did. In fact, we even do that today. Shipping containers that are coming in from overseas uh, into our ports are often sealed to, yes, assure that they're untampered with, but the seal also identifies ownership and the genuineness of the product that's on the inside hasn't been tampered with. Okay? So what does that mean for us? At the very moment a person puts saving faith in Jesus Christ, a seal is put on our lives. And the seal is the Holy Spirit. In the same way that a seal is used in our day, the presence of God's Spirit in our lives is an identification of ownership. It's a guarantee of the genuineness of what is on the inside. So do you see what Paul's trying to point to? Was our listening and believing real that Paul brings up in verse 13? Did something authentic really happen? Is following Jesus, our following Jesus, genuine? Look for the seal. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is meant to assure us. Okay, then what am I looking for? Well, we don't have the time this morning, unfortunately, to compile an exhaustive list of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But let me give you a sampling of about 20 things that he does for us and in us to be watching for. He teaches us God's truth, John 14, 26. He comes alongside to help us, John 14, 16. He convicts us of sin, John 16.8. He glorifies Jesus, John 16.14. He gives life to us in Romans 8.11. He empowers our witness to other people, Acts 1.8. He comforts us, Acts 9.31. He prompts us to act, Acts 11.21. He makes very real the experience of God's love, Romans 5.5. He leads us, Romans 8.14. He gives us hope, Romans 15.13. He gives us gifts to serve others, 1 Corinthians 12.7. He gives freedom, 2 Corinthians 3.17. He works miracles among us, Galatians 3.5. He makes our Abba relationship real, Galatians 4.6. He combats our flesh, Galatians 5.16. He transforms our character, Galatians 5.22. He strengthens us with power, Ephesians 3.16. He enables fellowship, Philippians 2.1. He helps us worship, Philippians 3.3. And you're saying, Rick, I only got the first two written down and you blew by me on the rest of them. So if you'd like a list of these, and that's fine, um, We'll put them out in our next church email that comes out on Monday where we give you the, you know, the sermon link and discussion notes. They'll be put in there. Now, if you're not on the church's email, don't get that. Then grab your white card this morning and give us your email address and just put all church email and we'll make sure we get that to you. But that's just a sampling. That's just 20. There are more than just that. But when we observe... Those kinds of things happening supernaturally inside of us that cannot be explained from a human point of view, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, and he's there in part to give us assurance of the authenticity of what we have in Jesus Christ. And having assurance in the now is really important. But most of us carry a pretty heavy load of uncertainty about the future. And so Paul now moves from the now to the what's coming. 
He wants us to have assurance about our coming legacy. And notice here in verse 14 how Paul gives us a strong and definitive statement of what's going to happen. What does he say? Okay, so we've been, we've, we've heard this message. We've believed in him. We were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Notice, our assurance of the future is based on the fact that we have a down payment to guarantee what is coming. That's why Paul uses the word guarantee. And when he uses that word, what he's doing is he's reaching out into the marketplace and using vocabulary of a business transaction, much like we do it today. I mean, just think about it. What happens in those situations where a very large purchase is going to occur but all of the money is not immediately available to close the deal. Well, in our day, just like in Paul's day, the buyer would give the seller a down payment, or he would give a deposit, or he would give earnest money. Those terms all explain the same thing. Partial payment is given for the total amount that will eventually be paid. So we do that all the time when we purchase a car, when we purchase a home. The down payment is a pledge from the buyer to the seller that the full amount will be made in the future. And that's exactly what happens when a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ. We're given a little that guarantees a lot. Our experience of the Holy Spirit in our lives is nothing less than a small taste of this luxurious banquet that is coming. It's a little bit of heaven just to whet our appetites for what eventually will be ours one day. And Paul speaks about this in many different places. For example, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 21 Paul says, now it is God who made both us and you stand firm in Christ. See, there's this assurance we're to have. He anointed us. He set a seal of ownership on us. And he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. He picks the same thing, theme up in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 4. He says, the time is coming when what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose, the purpose of our mortality being swallowed up by life, is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. See, our Heavenly Father wants us assured that there is so much more to come. And the work of the Holy Spirit that we see in our lives right now is simply a guarantee that there is so much more that we are yet to receive. Haven't seen it yet, but it's going to come. And that's what Paul wants us to keep our eyes on. Our coming legacy. Our promised birthright. Because as 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, He who calls you is faithful and he will bring it to pass. He will do that for us. And the the presence of the Holy Spirit is God's pledge 
God's promise that one day we will be completely transformed by what is coming. Again, look at the words that he uses here in verse 14. It's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Now, even today, if we are named in a will, and the will says you are going to get the inheritance, we don't get it now. We're going to get it one day, but not now. It's going to come later. And this is what Paul is saying. There is something we are going to get later. One day we will wonderfully and miraculously experience this complete and final redemption of our lives. In fact, if you're here in Ephesians 1, keep a finger here. We'll be back. But turn, if you would, back to the left in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Let's see how Paul describes this more fully for us, starting at verse 18. Romans 8, starting at verse 18. Follow along. For I consider that the sufferings of this present age are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. It was subjected to futility in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. There's that deposit. The first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see... We wait for it with patience. Oh, notice, Paul's talking about there is a coming glory. There is a a coming revealing of what is not yet obvious to us. And in the meanwhile, there's a whole lot of groaning going on. (laughs) And there is also a waiting, an expectant hope. So have we been redeemed? Yes. But is that redemption full yet? No. It has completely redeemed my heart. But still only partially. But there is coming a complete and full redemption. And until that time, until that time, we'll fight with the nasty tendency of our flesh to please ourselves, won't we? We will experience the heartache of living in a fallen world where death and disease and tragedy occur. The evil designs of our enemy, Satan, will continue to oppress the followers of Jesus Christ and keep them enslaved by the blindness of hearts so that many lose heart. Justice will get perverted as the innocent are punished and the guilty go free or the guilty get away with just a light slap on the wrist. Our bodies age, our bodies deteriorate. Arrogance and pride get exalted while humility and meekness are trampled. There's a whole lot of groaning going on, folks. And yet, 
And yet the Holy Spirit within us assures us there will come a day when our mortality will be exchanged for immortality. When our sinful flesh will be eradicated for good, there will not even be temptation any longer. Satan will be judged and sent to an eternal punishment. Every wrong is going to be appropriately punished. Justice will be executed. The God of heaven will personally wipe away tears. Death will become a fading memory. <laughs> fading memory. We'll finally enter into fully a fully conscious experience of seeing our Heavenly Father face to face and rejoice in the experience of being His kids. And the kingdom of God will become visible as Jesus Christ takes His rightful place as our King on the throne and all of life will then begin to revolve around Him. One day. Now look again at the last verse 14 and look at the last six words of verse 14. Why are we so powerfully assured? So that we have a real sense of of being secure even with the unknown of what the future is going to bring? To the praise of His glory. Wow. So even restoring us to our original trajectory is really not just simply for us. Ultimately, it's so that God will be praised. See, the glory of God is that He didn't reject us. And He could easily have done so when Adam and Eve fell, he could easily have said, well, if that's the way you want it, fine, and just leave all of us then to wallow in our sin and our misery. But he didn't do that, did he? You see, even before creation, even before Genesis 1-1 even began, God put together a plan. He knew in advance that Adam and Eve would reject him. He knew that their choice would, like an unstoppable virus, infect everyone who lived after them. He knew before creation that you and I would be born with something dead on the inside of us that would need to be brought back to life. So our Heavenly Father put together a plan that would highlight His grace. It would magnify His love for us His creatures. It would show the lengths that he was willing to go to to restore us to our original trajectory. He would sacrifice so much through the life of his own son dying for us that we could have life with a capital L. And he did all of that so that people would say, praise be to God. In fact, it's interesting that an early church father, St. Arrhenius, once said, The glory of God is man fully alive. According to Amazon, the most highlighted quote of all the Kindle books that are out there, in fact, it's been highlighted at least twice as much as any other highlighting uh, that's been done uh, in a Kindle book, is in the second volume of The Hunger Games, Catching Fire. Anybody read those, that trilogy? Here's the quote that's been highlighted more than any other in all Kindle books. The quote is this. Because sometimes things happen to people and they're not equipped to deal with them. What? 
Mark Schiffman, a university professor, in reading that observation, made the following comment, and I think he's on target. He said, it's easy to see why The Hunger Games is the novel of this generation. The trilogy depicts adolescents rigorously trained by adults for desperate but meaningless life-or-death competitions. The story resonates with young adults who worry that they're all honed up with no place to go. And they rack up majors and minors and certificates and credentials and internships to keep them in the running from what they feel to be an ever more elusive success. And so they're driven by fear. They clothe themselves in an armor of achievement that they hope will protect them against uncertainties of the job market, of course, but deeper uncertainties about their status, about their identities, about their self-worth, and they're trying to gain more control over an uncertain future. And our Heavenly Father does not want us to live with uncertainty, but assurance. That's why 2 Peter 1.3 tells us God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Everything we need he's given to us in Christ. What have we been given? By his divine power, we who are in Christ have been personally selected. I matter to him. We've been lovingly adopted. I belong to him. I've been graciously rescued by him. I'm set free in Christ. I've been wisely informed. I get it that my small story is a part of his larger story. I've been delightfully valued by my God. Therefore, I am treasured by him. Let's add the sixth one now. The Holy Spirit, I've been powerfully assured. Because of the Holy Spirit in my life, now I am confident in the now and in the future. See, when we start to see God and what he has done for us in Christ, and then we begin to see who we really are in his eyes, folks, that's when we can begin to live life with a capital L. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the work that you continue to do in my heart, even this morning, early this morning having my heart once again be centered on these six incredible blessings that we have in Christ, and we, your people, want to say thank you. They're blessings by grace, not because I deserve it, not because I've earned it. It's by grace. And Father, we, your people, want to give you the praise that is due your glory. But Father, you know our feebleness. You know how frail we are. And when you know how in the battle we get discouraged, battling our enemy, battling our flesh, battling the world. And I pray that these six incredible blessings of Ephesians 1 would all the more come to mark my life, mark my brothers and sisters here in this room this morning who are followers of you, that in their battles, your Holy Spirit would bring to mind 
the one card of these six that they need to play at that given moment to ground them all the more deeply in your heart and then your heart for them. Father Satan is not going to give up. He is going to be continuing to relentlessly seek to steal, kill, and destroy. But Father, thank you that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And so we're counting on you to come to our weaknesses, our discouragements, our wonderings, our doubts. And thank you for your wonderful assurance. Father, may the ministry of the Holy Spirit in my life and the life of, again, my brothers and sisters and in the life of this church continue to give us a confidence of following you day by day until there are no more and it becomes the day. Lord, we can't wait. We can't wait. Come soon, Lord Jesus, we pray. Until then. We're going to wait expectantly on you. Father, that's our prayer this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.